Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivereth from death. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. One of my favorite Scots to read is Robert Trail. So we have Robert Trail to lead us in a quotation today. It's somewhat of a lengthy quotation. I wanted to make it shorter, but I just didn't know where to cut it short. So give your attention to Mr. Trail. Common mercies are thrown about with a large and indifferent hand. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 5.45 Now these two sorts of mercies are far different as heaven and earth. The excellency of the one is far beyond that of the other, though we be unworthy of either. I am less than the, I am less than the least of all thy mercies, said a great saint in Genesis 32.10, and so should all say. But few do perceive this great difference, and many give the preference to common and outward mercy. Who but a Christian doth count it a greater mercy to have the conscience sprinkled with the blood of Jesus than to have a large and prosperous estate in the world, that the light of God's countenance and an hour spent in his courts when the king's presence is in them, is better than all the enjoyments of this world. Moses was a man that obtained singular mercy from the Lord. It appeared in this that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, Hebrews eleven twenty six. He had excellent balances and true weights. He put in the one scale Egypt's honors, treasures, and pleasures, and how weighty are such things in the worldlings' balances, and on the other, the reproach of Christ and affliction with the people of God. His judgment on this weighing is that the, this reproach, because of Christ's concern in it, and this affliction, because it is of and with God's people, is better than all other things. There's a good balance. We talk about balance, right? Is that a balanced view? Well, we want to make sure it's balanced according to the Bible. All right, so last week as we opened up this passage, we marveled, didn't we? We marveled that the Lord would condescend to speak of such issues of civil commerce as he has done. And yet he has. And why is that? What did we say last week? Because... God's word affects every area. There is one God, one morality. If our civil magistrates, um, let me say it this way. Civil magistracy is essentially a religious institution because it presses some particular morality or other. And may I ask the question, whose will it be? 
Whose will it be? Whose morality? Will it be, like Paul will say in Romans chapter 13, that the civil magistrate is God's minister for good? Or will it be, as it says three or four times in the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel in that day. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And how terrible it is, beloved, when even our magistrates do what is right in their own eyes. What a terrible day that is. So the Bible then is like we hear in uh, Psalm 119, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. It tells civil magistrate, yes, God dares to tell the civil magistrate how to do his job. How to use scales of true justice. And, you know, the Lord uses this term here, false balance, a false balance is an abomination, but a just weight is his delight. There are two things being referenced here. Perhaps you've seen the old-fashioned, quote, scales of justice. And Lady Justice holding them up. And remember, she's supposed to have a blindfold on. Because justice is supposed to be blind. Where did our fathers get that? They got that from the Bible. That was biblical morality with regard to proper civil justice. Thou shalt not... Countenance the face of the poor because he is poor. Thou shalt not countenance the face of the rich nor take bribes because he is rich. But thou shalt have just weights and a just balance. Justice should be blind with regard to who is petitioning. And its eyes should be open to the morality of God himself. The only standard of truth and justice. And so you will have seen, perhaps some of you, uh, children, if you're with me on this, great. Um, you know, there's this old-fashioned thing. It's a, it's a center stand, and it has two arms that go out this way. And those arms are set so that they can go this way or that way. And from the ends of those arms, there are three chains that come down to a plate that is somewhere between four and six inches round. And those three chains will hook to three uh, equidistant uh, stays on that plate. And it will hold that plate. And if those plates are manufactured correctly. And if the, if the uh, arm is manufactured correctly. If everything is done right. Then what you'll have is when that stands with nothing on it. Those two plates will be the same Height. They will be on, a, on one horizontal plane. You can put something on one side or something on the other. You can put lots of things on one side or, or the other. And those plates will adjust accordingly. They will go up and down based on the weights of the one side or the other. So when Solomon writes here, uh, A false balance is abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. Really, he's talking about two different things, but the same process. It's the process of weighing out something in uprightness. Now, the Bible will use this concept in different ways. Over and again in Scripture, we will see it used for civil commerce. And then, over and again in Scripture, we will see it used for the way that God will judge at the end of days. He will put all things 
in his balance. We will, we will remember, won't we, that Job in chapter 31, in a more heady, uh, chargeable statement, Job will say, Oh, let me be weighed in an even balance. And haven't we said, no, no, Job, that's, no, you don't want to ask for that. We don't want to ask for that. That even balance means, well, let me say, let me say it this way. You put the righteous standard of God on one side, and you put everything we are, everything we have, and everything we do, right, or have done, on the other side of that scale, and you, you know what all of that amounts to? Less than the dust of the balance. We don't want to be weighed in an even balance because we will always be found wanting. And we'll make use of that passage in a, a little bit later um, in Daniel chapter 5. Mene, Mene, Tekel, U, Farsin. Right? Weighed in the balance, found wanting, divided. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a few moments after a little bit more introductory work here. So this term of balancing in Scripture, uh, it, it, it appeals to a day when commodities were weighed and, they were, and there was a worth attached to them according to their weight. Maybe some of you can remember. I doubt many of you children can, but maybe you can. Uh, maybe there are still some stores like this. But you could go into the produce department of a store and you, and you might walk in and there were these things hanging from the ceiling. Now they weren't a balance per se, but they were one dish that was held up by chains hooked to a spring and the spring was hooked to an arm and the arm appeared on a face and you put your vegetables in that and that basket went down as the weight increased and the scale went like this, the needle went like this. How many of you remember that? Maybe children, children remember that, really? That's great. That's great. Well, there aren't a lot of stores like that anymore. Now you just throw them in your basket and you come to the front of the store and you put them on the cash register. There's a scale built in that you can't see and you just have to trust them that whatever they say it weighs, that's what it weighs. That there's nobody standing there with a thumb on the scale saying it weighs a little bit more so that you pay a little bit more. I've seen some folks that carry a little scale with them. One of those little fishing scales. They take it out of their pocket and they hold it up. They put their groceries in it. Okay, that's what it says here. Now let me see what it says at the cash register. What are they wanting? Just weights and just measures. Right? This is important stuff. The Bible will speak about justice in all of these things. Why? Why is it, a, why is it an abomination to have a false balance or literally in the Hebrew, balances of deceit, or stones or weights of deceit. Why is that? Because this strikes against God's perfect justice. It is God, not men, who has chosen to use the term balancing for that great and final assize when we will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ and everything will be in that day, can I put it this way? Weighed. Everything will be weighed. 
This is why it is an abomination. To have unjust weights and measures in this life is to testify to at least the nascent belief that God doesn't judge on fair balances. That they're arbitrary according to his own whim or will. This is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is, and it does describe the God Allah, who is whimsical and capricious in all of his doings, but not our God. Our God has put the standard up front. He has written it upon the hearts of all. He will not judge according, or sorry, contrary to that standard, but always according to it. He is not capricious in anything. He is steady. He is a rock. There is no unrighteousness with him. So let's look at a few other passages of scripture. Let's turn over to chapter 16 of the Proverbs. Verse 11. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. Notice that this verse is framed with something about the king. Hmm. Interesting. Gives us a little bit of a contextual viewpoint, doesn't it? That this just weight and balance are the Lord's. That is, the justice of the scale belongs to him. He claims it as his own. When we put something on a scale, and we do that for trading between men in our commerce, in our, in our purchasing activity, the Lord says, this scale is my scale. It's not your scale. This balance is my balance. It's not your balance. You will treat with one another according to the perfection of the Eighth Commandment, and you will not steal from one another by false weights, measures, and balances. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, will judge you in my balance. And so that balance points away from itself to my balance. And that's the point, isn't it? We turn over to uh, chapter 20, verse 10. Diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. Okay, weights and measures now. Not just the, the, the metrics of what something weighs, but the metrics of its length, its width, its breadth, its height, and so on. All of that belongs to the Lord. Notice chapter 14. This is a most interesting passage. We might say that the, that the speaker of this is to be commended in our age because... We live in a day when every man does that which is right in his own eyes. But listen to what the Lord says about it. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. What is being said here? Well, there's a buyer and he goes to buy something from someone. And he looks at it, he looks it over and he's pretty scrupulous and is looking it over. Let's say he wants to buy a camel from one of his ancient Near Eastern associates. Oh, I don't know. Look at the hooves on that camel. Oh, his neck is skinny. His legs. 
His hump is too is too low. Uh, you know, I don't know. Can he even run this this camel? I I don't know. I you know, you're asking seventy shekels. I think maybe the most I could even because I'm your friend, maybe thirty five shekels, maybe. And then the buyer will come back. Thirty five shekels. You just go your way and buy another camel for thirty five shekels. This camel is worth sixty five shekels if it's worth a shekel. And back and forth they go. And that was the way of doing business in the ancient Near East. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. And so he will attempt to drive down the price with his insulting of the good to be purchased. But then after he goes his way, hey, let me tell you about the deal I got on this camel. He boasteth. Right? Isn't that what's being said? Now in our day and age we say that's commendable. Beloved, the Lord is not commending that practice here. He's not commending it. This is a species of an unjust balance. It's an unjust judgment in order to drive the price down. The larger catechism will also tell us that in hoarding goods to drive the price up is a violation of the, te- of the Eighth Commandment as well. Obviously the Tenth as well, you know, with regard to covetousness, but, but it's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Engrossing produce to increase the price. And uh, they will cite Proverbs 11, well, what is it? 11.26. Let's look at 11.26. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Now this is an interesting thing. We remember Joseph in Egypt, don't we? And there are people, I'm, I'm just telling you about conversations I've had. There are people that look at what Joseph did and they call that, well that's oppression. It's oppression what, jo- what, what Joseph did. He bought up. All of the people, all of the land, all of their children, they became slaves to Pharaoh, and he put them under a 20% tax. Well, he could have let them die. Do you think it would have been right of Joseph to give away Pharaoh's corn without price? Would that have been what we would call good Stewardship. No. But we live in a day where we think, like we said earlier, that there truly is a free lunch. It was Joseph's wisdom, foresight, industry, subscripted labor, storage, transportation, all of those things put those storehouses in Egypt together. And there are some that believe that Joseph should have given that away, which would have been an injustice to his master. Notice what it says here. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. There are those that are alive today that want to think, blessing shall be upon the head of him that gives it away. Well, you're, you're free to give away your own goods, as long as you're doing good to your neighbor in doing so. But as soon as you cross the line, like we said earlier, of encouraging indolence, you've crossed the line and you're no longer doing him good. 
and your party to his sin. So no. There, there, are, there are a couple of things here that we need to note about this verse. The first is withholding it when it is necessary for the lives of others is a sin. And of course, when you withhold something that is valuable, what happens? Its price goes up. But when you sell it, you provide for others, and they themselves then learn that there's no free lunch. They must work for what they receive. So these are good principles of standard economics that the Bible teaches that are somewhat lost in our age. Back to Proverbs 20 and verse 23. Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. I'll explain to you about the weights in a moment, children, so that you can understand that. But let's look at a few other passages first. Deuteronomy chapter 25. The Bible teaches this principle very, very often. And so it is something that we need to listen to. Verse 13. 25.13 of Deuteronomy. Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things, and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Well, the Lord has reserved there, hasn't he, a deep curse for those who would do such things as having an unjust weight and an imperfect measure. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Ezekiel chapter 45. Now we will remember that the book of Ezekiel, especially in these last Nine chapters, 40 through 48, speak of the days of the New Testament prophetically. And so this applies to us here in that prophecy. Notice 45 verse 10. Ye shall have just balances and a just ephah and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of one measure, that the bath may contain the tenth part of an omer, and the ephah, the tenth part of an omer, the measure thereof shall be after the homer. And the shekel shall be twenty geras, twenty shekels, five and twenty shekels, fifteen shekels shall be your maneh. This is the oblation that ye shall offer, the sixth part of an ephah of an omer of wheat, and ye shall give the sixth part of an ephah of an omer of barley. And he'll go on to talk about measure upon measure upon measure. Well, now we see in this passage why that's so important. Because this intrudes upon the, what we offer unto the Lord. The worth of what we offer unto the Lord. If we have unjust weights and unjust measures and we go to offer something to the Lord with something that is unjust, then we have diminished our offering to the Lord. This also tells us that our commerce, the way we do business in this world, it is in at least some sense a religious activity. It is to be informed by our Christian faith. And so we desire in all things a just weight, a just measure, and so on. 
Uh, we turn over to Hosea chapter 12 is next. Verse 7, he is a merchant, the balances of deceit are in his hand, he loveth to oppress. That's not speaking of every merchant, of course, but it is speaking of special temptations to those who are merchant types. There's a special temptation to maintain an unjust balance. In Amos chapter 8, Verse 5, verse 4, Hear this, ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small, and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat, right? Shuck the wheat, get the, get, the, get the bran off of the outside of it. That's the stuff that they normally throw away. Mix it back into the wheat and sell that as if you were selling fine wheat. Again, another way that we deceive. And then finally, Micah chapter 6. Verse 10. Are there yet treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat but not be satisfied, and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold but shalt not deliver, and that which thou deliverest up will I give to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap, thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil and sweet wine. But thou shalt not drink, for the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof and hissing, therefore shall ye bear the reproach of my people. So the larger catechism tells us in the sins forbidden in the eighth commandment, False weights and measures, that is one of the things. Engrossing commodities to enhance the price is another. There's quite a long list of things that regard the Eighth Commandment. But let us say this about the larger catechism, and that is that the divines lived in a day when the monetary policy of the land was much like it was in Israel. That money was not currency as we call it today. It was actual money. It was tied to a particular uh, amount of silver or gold or other commodity, copper, if you will, and that it had a fixed value to it. 
so that weights and measures, those kinds of things, they must be right because if they were not right, then it involved theft. So let's say, children, that you have five pounds of flour that you want to sell. Okay? And so you have a scale with you and you have some stones in a bag. You have, you have stones that are, say, one pound each. And you want to go and sell that flower. Now, if you are upright, your one pound stones are really going to be one pound. And so, when you put your five pounds of flour on one side, and then your one, two, three, four, and five stones on the other, they're going to come into balance. And you can tell the person that is buying from you, these are my five one-pound stones. This is five pounds of flour. I'm selling you five pounds of flour. They can open the bag and they can look at it to see if it is ground flour, if it's the whole kernel, if it's in the husk or out of the husk. Remember that if it's in the husk, you're going to pay less a pound for it than if it's out of the husk, right? Because there's more of it that's usable and so on. Okay, so let's say then that you were wanting to sell that flower and you were unscrupulous, wicked. So then what would you do? You would change your stones. You'd put those stones away and you'd have another set of stones that you'd bring out if you were wicked. And many merchants in that day and continuing in really for hundreds of years actually did that. And so they would sell they would have lighter stones when they were selling. And so they put their five one-pound stones on there, but it's not really five pounds, it's four pounds because they've shaved a little off of those stones. And so they put another stone on there. Now they have six stones, but they've all been shaved and it comes into balance. Oh, well, I need to charge you for six pounds of flour and not five. That's wickedness. That's playing with God's absolute judgment of things. Then, let's say that you go across town and you are the buyer. So you put away those six stones and you bring out some other stones instead that are heavier instead of lighter. And so now you take from the merchant a five-pound bag of flour and you put your four one-pound stones on there that are actually more than a pound apiece and it comes into balance. And you say to that merchant, now wait a minute, you can't charge me for five pounds of flour. I'm only paying for four because it's only four pounds. If you're a good merchant, you'll have your own stones, won't you? And so you'll say, remove your stones and let me put my stones on there and we'll see who's got the right weight. And once you get caught doing something like that, well, there goes your reputation and perhaps there goes uh, your, uh, some of your money as you must give restitution for thinking to steal from your fellow uh, townsmen. So you see how that works, children. This is the weight and the balances. And in the ancient world, that's how that worked. And very often, men were found unscrupulous. That's why it turned out that most people carried around their own weight stones, the ones that they trusted. And for the people of God, when they carried around those stones, what was it? 
nothing diverse, a perfect weight. A perfect weight, right? Okay. So, um, in all of those then, we, we, um, we have talked about several kinds of things here. We've talked about weights and measures and so on. Uh, I'd, I'd like to talk with you for a little bit, just, just a little bit, about monetary policy. I was talking to our visitor from England today, and I got a little bit of schooling on what's happening in England these days as well. So when our Constitution was first written, Congress uh, assumed authority to itself to govern the monetary policy of the United States of America. And in so doing, uh, they immediately enacted a study committee that was led by the first secretary of the treasury. His name is Alexander Hamilton. You can see a picture of him on the $10 Federal Reserve note. And I'm using that language specifically for a reason. But that's his picture. Uh, Mr. Hamilton was an interesting character. He was a man of the world, not a very moral man. And yet through the light of nature and God's being the mind that encompasses all minds, the Lord had taught him, although he would probably never acknowledge that it was the Lord that taught him. I believe he was a deist like many others. uh, That if if you take the monetary unit of a country and you distance it or disconnect it from a very particular way to define that in some sort of coinage, in some sort of weight, in some sort of measure, then you will indeed uh, cheapen or diminish the, the cost or the worth of everything in that nation. We used to believe that as a country, and so we enacted standards, and so we tied the dollar very early on to the Spanish uh, doubloon, uh, the Spanish dollar, which was something like 367 grains of silver or something like that. Those those are the famous pieces of eight that were current throughout all of the Western nations at that time. And then we developed our own uh, dollar after that and tied it to a particular amount of gold and silver both. And that was done at the behest of Alexander Hamilton after he'd completed his study And so our original monetary policy was based on a just weight and a just measure. Along about 1913, the federal government, Congress, said we're no longer going to handle the monetary policy of this land. Instead, we're going to give the monetary policy of this land to banks. Anybody else think that's putting the fox in charge of the hen house? Well, that's what they did, long about 1913. And so we developed a new monetary policy administered by a private entity called the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve immediately moved, or almost immediately moved, to disconnect the money supply in our country from hard metals and weights and measures. And as I understand it from our friend, the same thing has taken place in many Western countries, uh, especially our Uh, We might call it our fatherland, England. Interestingly, what has happened to the worth of things since those days? 
We used to remember that an ounce of gold was worth, and when I was growing up, we still talked this way, that an ounce of gold was worth, anybody remember the number? $35. Right? Because that's what it was worth, by the way, in the 18th century. And the value of gold really didn't go up much. It stayed fairly stable with various fluctuations over time. Now what's the, what's the current market on gold? I don't know. A thousand? More? Higher than that? Our commodities guy knows. Higher than a thousand dollars? Right. Um, has gold somehow become worth more? No. The currency has become worth less. Why? Because it's not based on a just weight and a just measure. Scripturally speaking, money has weight. It was tied to shekels, gold, silver, something you would feel, something that made the scale move. Right? Now, I don't want to talk a lot about monetary policy, except so much as to put the people of God on notice that this is a species of tyranny. It's, it, it's the way that those who have take away from those who have not. And so all of that wealth, which is not any longer in the currency, it's in what's behind the currency and other, other, other commodities that are used, that transfers from one part of the population to another through unjust weights and balances. It's to let you know, beloved, that we ought to be in prayer for justice with regard to monetary policy. This is what the people of God ought to desire because this is what God has commanded us to maintain in our own minds. That is just weights and just measures and just balances. That we want to be people of equity and justice. Not equity in the way that it's used today, which means you take from from him and you give to him without any transfer of wealth or labor or any such thing. And, And by the way, what is your labor? As we said earlier today, your labor is a commodity that you have to trade with. That's something that God has given you. It is his gift to you, beloved. That while they can take away your home, they can take away your land, they can take away your cars, they can take away all your stuff, they can't take away your labor in that sense. It is still yours to trade with. And if you have nothing, as many did in the ancient world, they could give up their labor for room and board, a place to stay. They could maintain their lives. And some of them liked it so much, they said, I'm going to stay here forever. So, with all of that said, I'm not telling you to go out of the street with pitchforks and lanterns and to rebel against this, this country. We're Christians, we're not rebels. But we ought to know how to pray. We ought to pray that our government would partake of a just weight and a just measure. We ought ourselves to give that forth in example to others. We ought to pay a fair wage for someone that works for us. If we hire someone to mow our lawn or something simple like that or something more complex to build us a room addition or a kitchen remodel or something like that or maybe a bathroom remodel as some of us recently have done. If we're going to do something like that, what do we do? Do we, do we want to grind him down to where he's not going to make anything on that? No. We want to love him as ourselves such that we want him to make what we would call a reasonable profit from that. Just like we would want to if we were in his work boots. So a just weight, just measures. This speaks of equity between 
people. This is why the larger catechism starts out on the Eighth Commandment. We'll start out by saying contracts. Make sure your contracts are just and equitable between men and men. That you don't make contracts that are onerous and rapacious. So that, as one of the prophets said, you're panting after the dust on the head of the poor. Just because you can. Greed is not a part of the fruit of the Spirit. The one man said, Greed is my creed and great is my need. We want to remember that that is indeed great wickedness. That's the only greatness about it. So, in the days of Solomon, then they sold and bought by weight. So also in the days of the Westminster theologians. Um, and so this might go t- two different ways. You might, have, you might have three different weights in your bag if you were unscrupulous. You might have the lightweight, the heavyweight, and the perfect weight. All of those, except for the perfect weight, were abomination unto the Lord. The Lord regulated what the shekel weighed for his people. As a good sovereign over his people, he said, this is what your shekel is. This is what it will weigh, and this is how you relate it to every other commodity. You see, this is loving. This is kind. This is good. When we disconnect our monetary policy from anything hard, then what we do exactly is we begin the process of oppression. All right, so how do we commit uh, as far as ourselves individually? Let's go ahead and make a few uses before we, uh, before we end. Let us remember first, and let's turn back to Proverbs 11 in order to do so. <clears throat> Notice he says, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let's pursue the delight of the Lord. Let's pursue that delightsome thing, that justice in our dealings with others. Let us learn to love one another as we desire to be loved ourselves. Some have perverted that, you know, love one another. Oh, well, the Bible says treat others as you want to be treated Wouldn't you want a millionaire to give you a million dollars? No, I wouldn't. Not unless I did something for him that was worth a million dollars. Something lawful. Otherwise, all I'm doing is in one way or another extorting from him. That which he does not owe to me. It's a matter of theft, isn't it? Beloved, there is justice in all of these things. And again, we must not think that there is a Quote, free lunch. Let's turn to James chapter 5. Have you ever hired anyone to do work at your house? Listen to what it says here in James 5. Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts As in a day of slaughter, ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not 
resist you. This is one of those classic passages on oppression. You've had someone work for you and you don't pay him. You ever had that happen to you? I've had that happen to me. I worked for a guy once. I wired a house for him. And at the end of the process, after I turned the last screw, he said to me, I think your price is high. I'm only going to pay you this amount. Well, it was a side job. I didn't have any opportunity to take him to court. We didn't have a contract. We only had a handshake and a piece of paper. And so I had to take what, was, what he was willing to give at that point. But he waited until I turned the last screw. Well, what is the remedy in such a case as that? Notice what it says in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not against, one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Interesting, isn't it? So the rich here that are condemned, what are they condemned for? For holding back the wages of those who have worked for them. And did you see how the Lord couched that? He said, your gold and your silver are cankered. Now, gold and silver are not known for rusting. This is a prophetic piece here. The Lord says, I'm going to make your riches worthless. You have, um, you have coveted. You have defrauded. You have stolen you have oppressed to get your riches, I will make them worthless to you. You will not profit from them. Because just balances are my delight, but false balances are abomination to me, the Lord says. Well, this speaks to us, doesn't it? As those who would hire people to do work in our homes or maybe we're, we own a business and we've had people that work for us. Maybe we don't own that business but we're in charge of hiring and firing and setting wages and so on, right? And sometimes the tendency is, it is not, it is not. And then he boasteth afterwards. We want to make sure that we are up front ready to offer a fair compensation for labor or goods received. Um, do not then become yourselves oppressors with false balances. We want to pay fairly and justly for goods and services uh, that, that we receive. Uh, that means that if we work for others, right? If we are laboring in someone else's shop, if you will, or business, that we give them eight hours of labor for eight hours of pay. That we're not, quote, time servers. We're not clock watchers. That we protect the interest of the one who is paying our salary because the advance of his business means also to some extent or other the advance of our outward estate as well. We become partners with those that we work for. This means that our labor must be lawful labor lawfully undertaken we do not use dishonesty i was talking with one of our members just this last week who got beat out on a couple of projects by some unscrupulous uh, competitors we don't uh, return unscrupulous behavior in kind instead we labor harder instead we do more lawful things in order 
to be successful the next time around. By not placing then so much importance upon riches to become oppressors, we are indeed then um, uh, ready, more ready to forgive. And remember that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where people were taking in the Corinthian church their, their, um, their believing brothers and sisters to court before the civil magistrate because they had, a, they had a matter between them. And Paul will say to them, isn't it better than, being, uh, than dragging the name of the Lord Jesus Christ down in the sight of the civil courts to be defrauded? Wouldn't it be better to be like Moses who put everything in a balance, like Robert Trail said in our, in our quotation before we began, that he put everything in the balance. He put everything Egypt had to offer on one side and the reproach of Christ on the other side. And the side that had the reproach of Christ went down. And the stuff that he had on the other side, the stuff that Egypt had, it went up just like it was the dust of the balance. Something negligible. You don't even consider it in your weighing. That's the kind of mindset we ought to have. That we're here to protect one another's holiness and uprightness more than to protect our earthly estate. And then one more passage. I'd like us to turn to uh, Psalm 68. Nope, 62, excuse me. Psalm 62. We'll close with this. We're a couple minutes past time anyway. We we'll begin our reading in verse 8. Trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Salah. Surely, men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression. And become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. That last phrase, that speaks of that relative obedience that rises up out of hearts purified by faith. So as we come to the close of our study here today, let me just make these couple of different applications. The first application is Daniel chapter 5, 17 through 31. We'll not take the time to turn there, but you'll remember the knocking knees of Belshazzar. A great party one night. I'm sure that all of his guests were telling him, Oh, king, great party. And then suddenly he sees a hand that begins writing on the wall and his knees, even before he understands what the writing, his knees began to knock together. Why? Because he has that natural witness in himself that he's done something terribly wrong. He might even be able to identify it, that he's taken the vessels of Jehovah and he's brought them in as bowls for his drunken party. And so finally they bring Daniel in and Daniel says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, 
Upharsin, or Perez, if you will. Mene, weighed. Tekel, wanting. Perez, Upharsin, uh, divided. Thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. And beloved, when we talk about Proverbs 11.1, 1, and we think about God abominating false weights and measures. We do remember, don't we, that there is a day that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ in that final day of the great scale. And we will be weighed. The Apostle Paul will tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that every man will give an account of what he has done. John the apostle will tell us in Revelation chapter 20 that there will be the books opened and another book called the book of life. And when the books opened are opened all of the dead, the small and the great, believers and unbelievers, I believe, will see what they've done throughout their whole lives laid before them. You talk about a moment of your whole life flashing before you. You know why we say that. You know why that's in our language, right? Because we know that shortly after our deaths, we will do just that. We will stand before the Lord and give account for our lives. And I don't know what that situation will entail. I don't know if that will be spiritually done or if it will be a succession of moments. Or I have no idea. But I do know that... Somebody like me will stand there and the books will be opened and the listing of what I've done throughout my whole life and it will be a source of shame to me. And it will be a source of wonderment at the grace of God because a thousand will fall by my right hand but it shall not come nigh unto me. Because in those days if we stand in Christ then we will stand. But beloved, the day of the Assize is coming. That God would abominate false weights and measures tells us just as much as that. That we will be weighed in a balance at the end of days. And when we are weighed, only truth, only justice comes out of that Assize. And the only remedy for that justice that will be patently obvious to us that is owed to us is whether or not we are found in Christ. That's it. Listen to John Flavel and we'll close with this quotation. Is there such a fanning time coming? And by fanning time, he's referencing there in, in, the, in the prophecy of Malachi who represents Messiah as coming, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his threshing floor. The wheat he will gather into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable heat. That's what Flavel is mentioning here. Is there such a day, such a fanning time coming? Why do I not then sift my heart every day by serious self-examination? No more work or no work more important to me. And yet, how much have I neglected it? Oh, my soul, thou hast been better employed in searching thine own estate in reference to that day than in prying sinfully into the hearts and censuring the conditions of other men.
Judge thyself, and thou shalt not be condemned with the world. The work is indeed difficult, but the neglect dangerous. Proverbs 11.1 talks about just weights and measures in this world, but it gives up that circumstance in history to that great day that is coming when the scales will be tipped one way or another. Beloved, in that day, you must be found in Christ. Let's stand and call upon the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we look around at our own society, we see that there are many violations, many abominations pertaining to weights and measures and stones and scales and other such things. Oh Lord, we pray that because of all of these things, that we might apply ourselves unto Thee most seriously that with all of these unjust weights and measures around us that we would not be tempted to think of that day coming as anything other than a judgment in perfection O Lord deliver us from this arbitrariness deliver us Lord from every man doing that which is right in his own eyes Deliver us from the heavy or the light weight or the balance that has a thumb on it. And help us, Lord, more and more to enter into that perfect judgment. To confess our own sins. To do as we have been encouraged by the Reverend Flavel. To examine ourselves in accord with thy word day by day by day that we should not be condemned with the world. To remember that the day of the true scale is coming and that we must be found in Christ or we will be lighter than vanity. So then help us, we pray, Lord, to have the true value of things. Not just temporal things in this world, but the value, that eternal weight of glory that cannot be taken away. We pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.